What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Friday, August 26th, 2022. As the Cardinals finished up their series in Chicago at Wrigley Field on Thursday afternoon. And that's what we're here to talk about. The Cardinals defeating the Cubs, taking the fifth game of the five-game series. They end up winning three of five up there at Wrigley this week. Cardinals win it eight to three on Thursday behind a pretty strong outing by Dakota Hudson. Got to give him a little bit of credit before we begin gushing about all the great things we're seeing right now from the Cardinals offense, which includes Paul Goldschmidt doing very Goldschmidtian things. Going to continue to talk Corey Dickerson, who has been on an epic role of late. And we talked a lot about maybe what that means for Dylan Carlson yesterday and seem to be more of the same on Thursday. Because against a right-handed pitcher, Marcus Stroman, Corey Dickerson was back in the lineup. Dylan Carlson once again was not. We've been hinting at this all week. Watch the tea leaves as they change. Appears that Dylan Carlson is a platoon player, essentially, at this point for the Cardinals, whereas Corey Dickerson has entered on the strong side of that platoon. We're going to see more right-handed pitchers than left. You might see more Corey Dickerson than Dylan Carlson the rest of the way. More CD than DC. We'll see, but for what Corey Dickerson's been doing, you can hardly blame Oliver Marmel. Dickerson setting a franchise record today, 10 hits in 10 consecutive plate appearances. That ended up being, I believe, two away from the all-time Major League record, which is 12 in a row. Dickerson just continuing to hit. He had three hits on Thursday. We'll talk Paul Goldschmidt and how he has continued to make some serious strides in the Triple Crown race even though he doesn't necessarily think it's a realistic goal. Tell you what Goldie had to say about it. Cardinals had 16 hits on Thursday, so a good game for the offense to shine and show their wares. We'll break down who stood out and who didn't. There's only really a couple guys that did not, and we'll mention them both and explain maybe what the roles could be going forward for these players that Look, on a day the Cardinals have a great offensive performance and an outburst and win 8-3, to you're not going to spend too much time thinking about what went wrong. Although, as it gets closer to October and you start thinking about what those lineups will look like when the Cardinals are playing for a championship, playing for their lives, potentially, when it comes to a wildcard series or an NLDS or beyond, got to be putting your best foot forward. And so, who are a couple of the players that may be falling out of favor unless they're able to consistently put things together offensively. We'll we'll start to take a look at those sorts of things as the end of August unfolds and the month of September as well. Before we get into the content of the show tonight, though, I would like to remind you that you can subscribe to V-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. would love to have you guys on board over there if you're not already. And to support the show, there's a couple ways you can go about doing that. At for 12 give me a follow on Twitter, and right next to the follow button is the money icon, and you can support the show by contributing on Venmo or Cash App, but the best way to do it is to hit up the new Patreon, patreon.com slash for 12 If you're enjoying the show, that's a place you can show your support for it. The show remains free, but you can show your support over at Patreon and get some extra goodies along the way. So appreciate you guys for being with me. Let's jump into the show today as we break down this Cardinals win 8-3 to over the Cubs. Cardinals able to expand their division lead at this point over the Milwaukee Brewers 
to a pretty impressive mark. The Brewers were off today, and so instead of it being five and a half, the Cardinals now up by six games in the NL Central. This is kind of the way it unfolded, and, and I think the way that we expected it maybe to go with the Cardinals over the past three series playing some weaker competition. They played the Rockies at Bush Stadium, one of the worst road teams in baseball has been Colorado this season. Cardinals handled them with a sweep. They go to Arizona, one of the teams lower in the standings on the campaign, 10 games below 500 or so for the Diamondbacks. Cardinals were able to sweep them. And then you have five games at Wrigley. You win three of five, not an uproarious success, but three out of five is still a winning record, and you win the series, which allows the Cardinals to advance to 72 and 53, closing in on 20 games over 500. There's six games up on Milwaukee right now, winners of eight of their last 10. Thanks to the Dodgers, where they've been playing the Brewers, seven of the last 10 games have been Dodgers-Brewers for Milwaukee, and that ends up working to the Cardinals' favor with the Dodgers winning four out of those seven games. And Milwaukee struggled with the Cubs as well last weekend. So it's been still a little bit of a lull. The schedule was in a lull for the Cardinals, and they managed to emerge from it with nine wins in 11 games. It's exactly what they needed to do against that portion of the schedule. And the Brewers, they played some tougher teams, at least in playing the Dodgers, and they struggled with the one series they had against the weaker team in Chicago. And next thing you know, the division lead is rather substantial for the Cardinals. And the way they got it done on Thursday was, well, I mentioned Dakota Hudson, seven innings, two runs given up. He still walked a couple of batters, gave up five hits, but hey, that's one base runner essentially per inning. He was pretty efficient, only needing 97 pitches to get through seven innings. So you like what you saw there. Packy Naughton had a little bit of trouble. Not sure what his role on the team is going to be moving forward. It's possible when Ryan Helsley returns from the paternity list that uh, Naughton could be the guy actually to get optioned out. That wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Good to see, though, from Jordan Hicks, an inning and two-thirds to finish things up in the 8-3 to three win for the Cardinals. He had a couple of strikeouts, did not allow a base runner. So that was good to see. But, yeah, I could see maybe Packy Naughton going the other way on that when, when Helsley returns. Jojo Romero, another lefty in the bullpen, I think that's a guy the Cardinals might want to get a little bit more of a look at. He came over to St. Louis in the Edmundo Sosa trade with Philly, and he's a guy that's got a, a good raw arm, throws a lot of velocity from the left side, hasn't really had it paying out at the big league level yet in his career, but... Sometimes those raw talents, they get a change of scenery and they can really take off. And at least in a couple of outings, he's looked good for the Cardinals. So I'm curious to see whether Romero sticks around. Uh, the reason Helsley's not back yet, Ryan Helsley and his wife welcomed their first child into the world. Their daughter, Eliana, uh, needed to go undergo some additional testing. Everything, according to Katie, in what she reported on Thursday afternoon, everything is fine for the Helsleys, but uh, just a little delayed in terms of his getting back to the team. But hopefully he'll return soon. And then the Cardinals will, of course, have that roster decision to be made. Another paternity situation, Nolan Arenado is expecting a child and with, with his wife. And it looks like uh, that could be taking place at any time because Arenado left the Chicago series on the final day, got the blessing for the team to go back home uh, one game early. And so we'll see how quickly he returns to the team. But that's uh, exciting stuff for the Arenado family as well. But in the case of his presence in the Cardinals lineup Thursday, wasn't necessarily missed. Like I said, 16 hits, an explosion offensively. You saw a lot of multi-hit games from that Cardinals lineup. Everybody in the lineup that started the game had a multi-hit game, except for 
Paul DeYoung, Tyler O'Neill, and Nolan Gorman. Gorman went one for five. And then it was O'Neill and DeYoung that fell off the pace a little bit. 0 for 4 for Tyler O'Neill. He did have an RBI, though. And then 0 for 5 with a strikeout for Paul DeYoung. But Kisner had a two-hit day. Newt Barr and Donovan, that continues to be a dynamic duo. I feel like a broken record talking about it every day. But Newt Barr goes 2 for 5, scores a run. Donovan, 2 for 4, scores two runs, and he reaches via walk as well. Donovan got the start in right field today. Newt Barr was the DH. I don't think you should ever do that again uh, because Donovan did not look great in the outfield, made an error out there. But, hey, he needs to be in the lineup offensively. Same thing for Corey Dickerson, who started the game in left field, moved to right toward the end. Dylan Carlson was inserted for defense late. I like that decision. I like that move. But Carlson not in the lineup again against a right-handed pitcher. And the reason for that is, offensively, it just the numbers haven't been there. He's got an OPS in the low 600s against right-handed pitching, against lefties. OPS over 900. We talked about it last night on B-Shape Daily. Scroll back on your podcast feed to get a more in-depth discussion of that situation. But it is a situation now. Clearly, it's not an injury. Like, he came in for defense. He's been substituted into these games late the last few days. But it seems to be pretty obvious now that Dylan Carlson, by the Cardinals, is being considered as a platoon player with uh, him getting the short side of that platoon, obviously, because he's been good against lefties. You don't always see lefties. Corey Dickerson getting his opportunities. Again, he had 10 hits in a row. Set a franchise record. Goes three for five today with a RBI and a run scored. Corey Dickerson is hitting 278 for the season. And the OPS is up to 741. That's just unthinkable with where he was to begin the year. Struggling in the low 100s there for a while on batting average. And it's just kind of crazy to think about. That's exactly what the Cardinals probably hope they'd get. You know, that's what they signed up for when they gave him the $5 million back in spring training. Like, if you had said back in mid-March, hey, it's going to be late August, and Corey Dickerson's going to have a 278 average and a 741 OPS, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. But my goodness, the way that we've gotten to it is not necessarily the one that you expected. But I think the Cardinals will take it at this point because he's he's hot at the right part of the year. And you got, you're just going to have to continue to play him against right-handed pitching. He's seeing the ball too well. He's putting the ball in play. He's making things happen. I, I'm not super fond of his defense, but there comes a point where when you're going three for five or four for five or four for four every day, you're playing. That's really all that needs to be said about it. So well done by Corey Dickerson to turn his season around. We will continue to sing his praises for, uh, you know, as long as he continues to hit this way because it's been quite a sight to behold. Tommy Edmond had a good game as well, three for five. He's starting to heat up a little bit, but that OPS still below 700, but it's 694. It is rising ever so slowly. I just like the way the Cardinals lineup looks right now. It looks, again, no Arenado today, and yet you still didn't feel like you missed a beat. When you've got Newt Barr and Donovan doing what they've done, they get on base a combined five times today in nine plate appearances, and that's been, or 10 plate appearances, rather. That's 50% of the time, and that has been par for the course for those two. Against right-handed pitching, Donovan could be catching for all I care, but he needs to be in there offensively against righties. He's just been too darn good. And Newt Bar, you know, the same thing. I know it can be tricky, and, and you're seeing some of the defensive alignments for the Cardinals um, not be as productive or as efficient as previous times in the year when it was kind of locked in. You saw Carlson in center. You saw O'Neill in right. You pretty much knew Newt Bar would be, or pardon me, O'Neill in left, knew Newt Bar would be in right. That's your outfield for the longest time. 
if it's Edmund playing shortstop or DeYoung playing shortstop with Edmund at second, the two twin towers at the uh, corners with Goldie and Arenado, like you just you just know what the defense is going to be, and it had been really good. That may be something we have to start to look at because the Cardinals are beginning to commit some more errors. But for the time being, I don't think it's the end of the world because they're finding ways to continue exploiting the matchups with platoon advantages to score more runs. And I value defense as much as the next guy, but I also value having games where you score eight runs and get 16 hits. So the Cardinals are in a good spot right now offensively. I wouldn't really change a thing. You know what it's going to look like offensively against right and left. The defense is just what changes every day. Like I said, Donovan in right field, not my favorite experiment, but they wanted to get Newt Barday off his feet. I understand it. And he'll probably be back in there in right field against right-handed pitching moving forward and probably against lefties as well, just with how good he's played. But he doesn't stay at the top of the lineup in those situations. And I like that Ali Marmel has continued to stick to that game plan. And you'll see Dylan Carlson probably bat leadoff against lefties. And that's the way it should be because he's the best guy for the job against that particular type of pitching. Really like the way that things are shaking out right now for the Cardinals. On Friday, they'll get an opportunity to tangle with uh, the probable rookie of the year. You might see a matchup between the pitching candidate for rookie of the year for Atlanta, Spencer Strider, who has been just absurdly good this year. 151 strikeouts in just over 100 innings for Strider on the season. The 23-year-old has really taken the lead by storm. And this is what the Braves seem to do. They just develop some seriously good talent, and they keep bringing it up, and they just keep continuing to add to a roster that's already really talented. They might be getting Ozzy Albies back soon from injury. That's a World Series contender that the Cardinals are about to face this weekend. I know that they won the World Series last year, and you might think, well, they're not even leading their division right now, so you can can you really call them that? But they're defending world champions for a reason, and yeah, they might even be better than they were last year. I don't know if that's totally a fair claim to make for a team that literally won the World Series, but they've got a lot of young talent that is continuing to be infused into that roster. And so my, my prediction for the weekend, I don't know whether the Cardinals win the series or not, but what I think is going to happen is you're going to sense that environment at Busch Stadium, that playoff-type environment like you felt in the Yankees series. I think it's going to be an exact redux of that, where the Cardinals are going to need to bring their A game because this is a team that not only is going to be in the playoffs, but certainly could do some damage when they get there. And you may see the Atlanta Braves in an NLDS type of scenario, potentially, depending on the way things shake out. So... Because it's not impossible that they would surpass the New York Mets in that NL East division, which would then, as a probable number three seed in that playoff bracket, you're going to be pit against the number two seed from the National League. So definitely going to be an interesting environment at Bush Stadium this week, and I think it's going to be a good one. But with Strider, right-hander on the mound, Cardinals should expect to go with this lineup once again, Newt Bardonovan at the top, and Donovan, maybe a guy that uh, should be getting some Rookie of the Year consideration Behind Strider, I don't know that anybody can catch Strider. It's a little bit different comparing hitters to pitchers. But, hey, maybe Donovan can uh, personally deliver some some bad juju for Spencer Strider's statistics on the season and uh, raise his own numbers. 70, uh, 792, pardon me, the OPS for Brendan Donovan. Keep playing him. Keep letting him hit. Maybe DH him or, or throw him back on the infield. I mean, he's good at third. I'd play him at third base tomorrow if Arenado is still not active and with the team uh, due to the the birth of a child. So that would be the way I would go because I think Donovan's best defensive position is third, but we've seen him this week in in right field and at first base, and I don't really like the look of either of those too much. 
but I do trust him at third. I trust him at second, and I think he can handle shortstop in a pinch, but with Edmund and DeYoung both on the roster right now, there's really no reason to put yourself into that spot either. But let's talk about Paul Goldsmith, shall we? I, I feel like we should. Because what he's done and continues to do, even the most wild expectations that we might have had for his season, he is exceeding even those with what he's doing here at age 34, going on age 35. A couple of weeks from now, September 10th, he will turn 35 years old. And he'll still be in the driver's seat for the MVP when he does so. That's certainly my expectation. But not only is he talking MVP at this point. Well, he's not talking it. He's asked about things like this, and he probably would prefer to talk about anything else, knowing how Paul Goldsmith is. But the Triple Crown is now legitimately in play for Paul Goldsmith. And I sort of jinxed him when we talked about it on the radio on the big show this afternoon, Thursday afternoon, on KTGR from 4 to 6 p.m. in Columbia, Missouri, or KTGR.com worldwide. Talking about Paul Goldsmith hitting two home runs in Thursday's game. He went three for five, had a couple of long shots, and five runs batted in. Sorry, it was three for four. The five was the RBI number. Three for four, reaches base via walk, so he's on base four times, scores three runs. The batting average is up to 339, leads the league, and the OPS is at 1057, also leads the league. He's up there at the top in average and on base percentage and slugging percentage and OPS. And with his five RBIs today, he has moved beyond Pete Alonso in the race for the RBI crown. So, okay, he's got the most RBIs at 105 now. He's got the highest batting average, 339. Freddie Freeman checking in about 12, 13 points behind him. And Pete Alonso did actually have a couple of RBIs today, but he's still behind Goldsmith. Goldie up to 105, Alonso at 104. Now that I'm checking the, uh, the latest updated box scores here, Kyle Schwarber stands in the way of Paul Goldsmith in the home runs category, but... At the conclusion of the Cardinals game today, Goldie was up to 33, Schwarber at 34. So within one, a home run away at that point of being the in the driver's seat, tied for a triple crown essentially because he's leading in average, leading in RBIs, and uh, would then have taken over the tie for the lead of home runs. And I had mentioned on the radio, what did I do to jinx the situation? Well, I talked about Kyle Schwarber hasn't homered since August 5th. Like, oh, yeah, he's fading in the home run race. I I don't think Goldie's going to have a problem with home runs. I think he's got RBIs on lock. He's just been so much more efficient recently. And you've got the Newt Bars and the Brendan Donovans of the world batting in front of you against right-handed pitching. He's just going to continue to rack up those RBIs as the remainder of the season unfolds. Batting average, I said, that's the one I'd actually worry about because even though you're 339 to 326 for Freeman, that's something that can change in a in a flash. You go five games where you have a one for 15 and Freeman goes eight for 12. Suddenly you're a lot closer than you thought you would have been. It's the one aspect that, you know, you, you can be caught by you doing poorly. Whereas if you just neglect to hit any home runs for a few days, that's fine. If you're in the lead on it, somebody else still has to homer to catch you. But in batting average, you can do poorly go in a little bit of a slump and that can cost you. And Goldie had sort of been in that situation three for his last 18 prior to the off day that he got on Wednesday. But so crazy is 
even with Arenado being ejected, we talked last night and said, well, maybe they really wanted him to have that full off day. That's surely why Ali Marmel didn't put Goldie into the game at that point. When Brendan Donovan was at first, you could have moved Donovan to third, put Goldie in at first. It would have been great. But no, they felt compelled and, and, and decided that Goldie needed that full day off. Well, turns out it was probably for the best. Three for four, two home runs, reached base via walk. He's fantastic. And just like that, the batting average is back up. Everything's going great. So, yeah, you can have those slumps, and that can cost you batting average. But if anyone's capable of just turning it around within one game, it's Paul Goldsmith who just raised the average back up. No problem. Three for four, that'll do the trick. So instead of, you know, it was three for 18, that's like a 160 average over that stretch. Not very good. Or whatever it is, 143 batting average. Is it 167 or 143? My math skills are evading me this late at night. Going to have to do the, uh, the old Google. Yeah, 167. I was right the first time. But you suddenly add that three for four behind the three for 18, and now you're six for 22, and suddenly your batting average really hasn't dropped all that much over that span. It's not so much of a slump because you had the big game to pull yourself out of it. So that's why I think, even though I am a little concerned, that not because of Paul Goldsmith, but because anybody when it comes to batting average can go on a, a prolonged slump and, and lose the lead in that category. A little bit concerned, but talking myself out of it by just declaring how clearly Paul Goldsmith is able to turn things around on a dime. So maybe it was a little bit of a nice thing that they gave him that rest on Wednesday after all, which I said at the time, I said, that's surely what they were trying to do. He's a, he's had very few of those full off days this season. And even though Arnado got ejected and that wasn't only Marmel's plan, they figured out a way to, uh, to get him that day. But yeah, after I had made the comment about Kyle Schwarber on the home run thing, he hit one tonight. So he's at 35 now ahead of Goldie by two. And I would say that objectively, now that he's behind by a couple home runs, when he was just within one, I was thinking, oh, that's easy. He'll catch up. But objectively, considering he's leading the other two categories and homers is the one that he's he's failing in, failing in, that he's trailing in, it really is getting late. That's the one that you'd say, all right, it's going to be toughest to overtake Kyle Schwarber. But if he's if he's only hit you know, two home runs in the last three weeks, is it going to be a case where Schwarber slows down toward the end? He only ends up at 38-39. If he only hits four home runs over the last month plus of the season and Goldie hits six or seven, you know, he, he, he can catch him still. That's definitely possible. As for his thoughts on whether the Triple Crown is possible, because, again, this has not happened since 1937 in the National League. Miguel Cabrera did it about a decade ago in the American League. and It's happened other times since over in the AL. Not in the NL. It's been since 1937. And that would make it all the more amazing if Goldschmidt were able to pull it off. And he's so close right now, you think, yeah, this could actually happen. Well, Goldie doesn't agree. He said if something like that, talking about the Triple Crown, if something like that happened, it would be a miracle, Goldschmidt said. So to think that's realistic is probably pretty far-fetched. He says to think it's realistic is not realistic. So stop talking about it. He said it would be amazing, but to think that that's a goal for anyone is a crazy standard. Yeah, that's fair. I like that he at least said all the things that he said about it. Like, hey, Triple Crown, you notice that this is a thing? He's like, dude, that's a, to think that it could be a goal for anybody would be ridiculous. That's the way he keeps himself humble. Like, Paul Goldschmidt is a very humble guy and doesn't like to talk about himself, but even he's got to recognize that these numbers are astounding. But man, he's a process-oriented guy. He's still got... 30-some-odd games remaining before the season's over. It's still it's still in the thick of it, in the heat of the moment time. He's not going to sit back and reflect on, well, I'm close to the Triple Crown. 
he's just got to keep doing what he's doing and grinding away these at-bats. And it's going to come. Like, if it's meant to happen, it's going to come because Goldschmidt just continues to stay locked into that zone that he's in. I don't know. Is it a higher likelihood that Goldie wins the Triple Crown or Albert gets the 700? I was getting hot and bothered about the Albert Pujols total, and then he's kind of tapered off this week. Had the one impressive Vladimir Guerrero senior-type home run where the ball was six inches over the strike zone that he hit off of Drew Smiley a few days ago. That was 693, but not a lot of opportunities against lefties in the days since, so we just haven't really seen as much of Albert. And now you start to wonder, okay, a few days go by. Is the magic gone? Is he going to be able to get seven more? I don't know. Higher likelihood, 700 or Goldie Triple Crown. I'd have to say probably 700, still more likely, just because for Triple Crown, there are three different things that can go wrong. There are other players that can surpass you. But it is an interesting question. Let me know what you think, at bshafer12 on Twitter, or leave me a voicemail. You can do that on the Shape Daily Podcast, by the way. Would love to get more voicemails involved. And if you think, oh, no, that's not for me. He's talking to somebody else that's going to do a voicemail. No, I mean you. I want to hear from new people that have been listening to the show and have conversations, topics, content, questions, commentary, anything, whatever it is about the Cardinals. I'd love to hear it from you guys. And you can go to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message to record your own voicemail that I can play right here on the show. Just a fun little tag for that. But if you're a little shy, at bshafer12 on Twitter, We'll do the trick as well. I'm thinking I'll lean the Albert thing for now, but a couple couple few days could go by where Albert doesn't hit one, and then you start to do the math and go, yeah, it's going to be tougher to get there. Whereas Goldie, he just needs one more game like he had today. And I know that's asking a lot because he had a really good game. But a two-home run game, and you're tied with Kyle Schwarber, and that probably bumps you up over Pete Alonso in the RBI category a little bit more. Like, he's on the cusp of something pretty special here. I like that he's not thinking too much about it. When he's asked about it, he's almost indignant. Like, why would you ask me about that? We got five weeks left of this season. That's not something I can think about right now. But I think even Paul Goldsmith, he said, like, it would be a miracle. It would be amazing. You know that he would be, that he would be excited about that, I think, if he were to accomplish that. That would mean a lot. I mean, 1937, it's a long time ago. 85 years. So that would be something pretty special. He deserves it all, though. I mean, the season that he has had, He's just been a baseball-hitting machine defensively as well, by the way. The play that he made stretching on a Tommy Edmond throw, Edmond made a great play to knock the ball down, line drive that would have been two runs had it gotten by him into left field today. And instead, he knocked it down but had to rush the throw a little bit. Goldie said no problem. Throw drags him up the, up the right field line a little bit, and he just keeps his toe on the bag just so well, maneuvers that base as the ball is coming in and it just finds a way to scoop it up, make sure he keeps it in the glove. He is doing everything on a really elite, elite level right now is Paul Goldschmidt. So just been really impressed by that. But that is going to do it for this edition of the show. Once again, let me know what you think about Paul Goldschmidt and the Triple Crown chase. How realistic is it? I think there are a couple of categories that he could lock down with some good performances in the coming weeks. But uh, that batting average one is, is always going to be tricky. Until you've got that big lead and there's only a couple of games to go and mathematically you can't be caught, there's always a chance that a slump or another guy gets really hot and suddenly he meets you in the middle. You go from 339 to 331 and they go from 326 to 332 and suddenly they've got you. But we'll wait and see what happens with that. Continue to talk Paul Goldsmith as the season unwinds. But like I said, that is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. 
Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily as we get into this series with the Atlanta Braves. Looking forward to that. So thank you guys, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Peace.